are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Oh, come on. Merry Christmas, everybody. Ah, much better. This, we have not seen this many people in this place since the beginning of the pandemic. And so, although it's still a little scary, which is the masks, it's also really lovely. This is the first Christmas Eve since 2019 that we've been able to gather here in this building, which is actually really hard to believe. Last year we were close, like really close, because we had a congregation back in the building since the previous July, but on December 23rd, the Anglican parishes in this diocese received an email notification from our bishop advising us that due to a significant spike in COVID cases, we'd be wise to not gather a big congregation here on Christmas Eve. And so uh, a quick check-in with that senior physician who's a member of St. Ben's confirmed the bishop's counsel. So back to online only we went. We all understood, but it was more than a little discouraging. But you know, we're not quite back to the old familiar yet, are we? We're still masking as we move around the church, and some people are masking for longer. When the liturgy is finished, we would normally haul out big trays of cookies and bottles of sherry, and everybody mill around and talk to each other and probably spit a little bit into each other's cookies. So we can't do that. But we have put together some little boxes that have in them some baking done by people from our community. There's a candle representing that light that you heard about from Isaiah. The people who walked in the darkness have seen a great light. And in those boxes, there's also a candy cane. Now, I have to be honest here. I am a bit of a traditionalist. So while I could have gone out and purchased any number of flavors of candy cane, you can get pumpkin pie candy canes or coffee ones or ones with various soft drink flavors. Eh, There was no question I was going to get peppermint. White with red stripes and a single green stripe round. Old school, in other words. But it's funny. Because a little research on the history of that peppermint candy cane that I sort of think has been around since, I don't know, Jesus? It turns out that it's rather newer than one might assume. Okay, it it did begin around the year 1900. That's when the stripes and the peppermint began to emerge. So we got 120 years of tradition, right? But that's not nothing. But there's a whole other story behind him. So, let me tell you the story. The oldest story of the candy cane goes back to 1670, when a choir master at Cologne Cathedral in Germany 
was said to have had made these sugar, white sugar sticks, candy sticks, that they then bent into a cane shape representing the shepherd's staff, the good shepherd's staff. And they were all made to help keep his choir boys quiet during the service. Now this tradition apparently spread throughout Germany with families hanging these sugar canes on the branches of their Christmas trees, the trees themselves also a German innovation from that time. Then it slowly spread throughout Europe and through German migration into North America, but at that point they were still just plain sugar candy, white crooks. It was around 1900 that stripes began to be added and the historical Christmas cards from the period begin to show these striped candy canes. At the same time, peppermint became the standard flavor. 1919, an American candy maker named Bob McCormick began making candy canes in his factory, still by hand, but within a few decades, he became famous for them and they became part of our Christmas traditions. Now, I was taught that there's a whole host of symbols connected to that standard peppermint candy cane. The shape represented a shepherd's crook, which is probably true, goes right back to that choir master trying to keep the choir boys quiet. But also I was taught that the white stood for the purity of Jesus' life. The red stripes marked his sacrifice in the crucifixion. The green that wove through his resurrected life. And the peppermint represented the burial spices prepared by the women to anoint his body after crucifixion. As it turns out, the historians who care about such things aren't so convinced. In his World Encyclopedia of Christmas, Jerry Bowler, a good Winnipeg lad, by the way, Jerry Bowler suggests that such symbolism, quote, seems to be pious retrojections dating from the modern period. In other words, the candy color and the flavor and the stripes came first. And the interpretation that I was taught along the line followed. But then again, Regardless of the origins of the symbolism, it still connects to the story we tell tonight. The peppermint candy cane that you'll take home with you tonight, with its mix of white, red, and green, can be interpreted as the imagery of the Good Shepherd's life and death and resurrection. A mix of things that are both hard and lovely, And both hard and lovely is actually very true of the story that we read tonight. I mean, it can come across as quite lovely and quaint, right? But that's only because it has been told and retold so many times and then shown in countless paintings and Christmas cards that speak more of the warmth and the beauty of the scene than of anything else. But just back out for a minute to the opening line that says, 
a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. That's a decree coming from the head of the most powerful empire known to the world at that point. And why do you think that an empire known for its rather harsh military rule would want to have a census? Taxes. Taxes. As Luke tells the story, the routine for the census was for people to travel back to their ancestral homes where they might no longer even have relatives. It was their ancestral home. It's like me needing to go back to Scotland, where my father's from, to register for taxation. Again, that's an empire making the people under its rule do as they are told. It speaks to the power and the tyranny of Rome in those lands. As the story unfolds, it becomes clear that Mary is really in no shape to travel. But what does an emperor care about a pregnant peasant girl? And so Mary and her beloved Joseph end up in a stable, nowhere else to stay, and sometime that night, the baby's born and wrapped in bands of cloth and put to sleep in a manger in the feed trough. Have you been in a barn where animals are kept? For the women here who are mums, can you imagine, having just had your baby, that you had to be in a barn with animals and the best you could do for a cradle was a feed trough? right? You begin to sense just how desperate this young couple must have been that night. Meanwhile, Luke tells us that an angel, that in Greek, messenger literally, an angel appears to shepherds out in the fields bringing them news of this birth saying, to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. Now again, we tend to have a very prettified image of biblical shepherds. But theirs was not easy work. It tended to fall to people pretty much on the edge of things, socially and politically and economically at the edge. And often is not, even though our images from the Christmas cards is this group of men, often is not it was women and children who were shepherding. And yet Luke tells us those nobodies are the first to receive the good news of great joy. As Bruce Coburn put it in his song, Cry of a Tiny Baby, there are others who know about this miracle birth. The humblest of people catch a glimpse of their worth. For it isn't to the palace that the Christ child comes, but to shepherds and street people and hookers and bums. The angel comes to shepherds of all people, which, as Coburn rightly sings, means that the Christ child comes to the shepherds, and all of the last and the least and the lost, which is all of us, if we're honest about ourselves. And then Coburn continues in the song, and the message is clear if you've got ears to hear that forgiveness is given for your guilt 
and your fear. It's a Christmas gift you don't have to buy. There's a future shining in a baby's eyes. So with that candy cane, just pay a little extra attention to the green stripe winding up. For ultimately that green stripe represents resurrection and life and is all about that future shining in a baby's eyes. And it does. It does. Have a happy and blessed Christmas season. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.